Hey church, good morning. It's good to see all of you. It's good to be back with you today. Uh, for those of you who have been attending our, who started attending our church in just the last two months, I'm Gary Shioham. I'm one of the other pastors here. You probably don't even know who I am because I haven't been up here. Uh, but anyways, I'm one of the other pastors and my title is Senior Pastor. And the reason it's Senior Pastor is because I'm old. And so this weekend, Pastor Greg was supposed to uh, teach a, a message on sexuality, what the Bible has to say about sexuality, but uh, at the 11th hour, uh, we decided to make a switch, postpone the message, not ne to next week, but the week after, and that's going to be a two-week message now instead of a one-week message, because I wanted uh, this time to share with you some personal things that have been going on in my life that uh, I thought you needed to be aware of, and it, it also has a time stamp on it, so, so that's why I'm up here today. I'm glad to be with you. I apologize to any of you who might have made the trip out here just to hear him speak on, on that topic. Uh, please come back for that, not next week, but the week after. That's kind of how it's working. And we want to do it next week, but it just wouldn't work because of something else we've got going on next week. So stick around. Uh, we, we love having you here. As you may know, uh, I took August and September off from speaking August because I usually take the month of August off and September because uh, things are just starting to get a little crazy for me. Uh, it's been, uh, the last few months have been uh, quite tumultuous to say the least. Uh, and it actually, the tumult actually began uh, months earlier, uh, probably going back into the early spring when I started having, feeling some discomfort in my chest. And so uh, at first I thought it was the, the dust and the paint fumes from our little remodeling project that we had that you might be familiar with. But then when it continued on, even after the remodeling was done, uh, I, um, I went to the doctor. He gave me some inhalers, and uh, that didn't help. And so finally around May, I had a, a chest x-ray. He ordered a chest x-ray, and uh, nothing too revealing. Uh, he came back and simply said, uh, the radiologist wants us to do a follow-up uh, chest x-ray in about six weeks. I said, okay, that's fine. That was, that's, I guess, mid-June, somewhere around there. Had uh, another chest x-ray, and uh, the, the, this time the doctor called me and said, okay, the, the chest x-ray came back abnormal, but the radiologist couldn't tell exactly what it was. So uh, he said, we'd like to have you get more chest x-rays, uh, different angles, so please go back and do that. Well, meanwhile, I continue to have all this chest discomfort, sometimes burning sensations and whatnot, so I, I, I went to urgent care one day and uh, saw a different doctor, and he gave me something really nasty to drink. So I, I drank that, and it seemed to almost uh, immediately alleviate the symptoms. And so the doctor pronounced, he says, I think you have acid reflux. And so I, I told Cheryl about that, and she kind of laughed, got chuckled, because she said, uh, you know, acid reflux is an old person's disease. I guess your uh, uh, acid starts to kick up in your, your stomach and all that kind of stuff. So I said, oh, thanks a lot. Well, since the, my primary physician ordered more x-rays, I've decided to go ahead and get that second round of x-rays, more different angles. I went ahead and got those. And again, when the results came back, it came back abnormal. And so, again, once again, they, they couldn't figure out, we can't figure out what it is. So I think we're going to have you get an X, a CT scan this time. So please go back and get a CT scan. So I finally got the CT scan, had to wait for the results. A lot of waiting during this time, waiting for appointments and waiting for results. And the results of the CT scan came back, and it showed that I had 
two spots, small spots or nodules on one of the uh, lobes of my lung, but they couldn't, again, CT scan wasn't definitive, so they couldn't figure out what it was. And so a pulmonologist or lung doctor was consulted, and he ordered a battery of blood tests, which all came back negative except for one. Uh, I, one blood test came back positive for TB. So the infectious disease doctor was brought in, and she told me, wear a mask and stay away from people. And that was pretty nerve-wracking because, you know, I interact with tons of people every week, and I love seeing you, and I love giving you hugs and all that kind of stuff. And, and so it was nerve-wracking to think that maybe I had TB and I was spreading it to everybody. And I could just see the headline now in the Daily Breeze, Pastor Spreads TB to His Congregation, you know. And so... Uh, so finally, after more testing that lasted over several weeks, the doctor finally declared that I did not have TB. So what a relief for all of you who've given me hugs. You don't have to worry about anything. You haven't caught anything from me. But, but again, it left the question, you know, what are those spots on my lung? Uh, my lung? So next, a PET scan was ordered. And I thought, what's a PET scan? Do I need to bring my dogs in here for this thing? Well, a PET scan doesn't have anything to do with your pets. PET scan is when they scan your body after they've injected you with a, a radioactive tracer or drug. And so another week went by and uh, had to get the PET scan, went and got the PET scan, and, and had to wait another week for the results to come in. And, and they too were uh, inconclusive. The doctor said that the PET scan did not, quote, didn't scream cancer, which is usually what PET scans are pretty good at proficient at detecting, and that's cancer. Well, finally, they didn't know what you got here, so the pulmonologist was brought in again, and he just said, well, let's just cut to the chase and get a biopsy on your lung. So about three weeks ago, I had a CT scan guided biopsy, which means they put me in a CT scanner to determine exactly where the, the nodule on my lung was, and then the doctor stuck a needle. The interventor, intervention, interventional radiologist stuck a needle through the back of my, through, through my back into my lung and, and drew out some tissue, which was tested. That was, uh, was not fun, uh, to say the least, but um, that's what I uh, went through. And then finally, um, about two weeks ago, the doctor called. In fact, it was exactly two weeks ago yesterday that the doctor called to inform me that the biopsy tests came back and it tested positive for cancer. All right, so don't freak out yet. I, uh, so I have uh, adenocarcinoma, which is the most common form of lung cancer for uh, non-smokers, because I don't smoke. So this week, I met with a, on Wednesday, I met with a thoracic surgeon who told me that the cancer was low-grade, slow-growing, and fairly small at about one and a half centimeters, which is about a half an inch. So that's all pretty good news. Uh, he said there's a second nodule on the same lobe of the lung, which he said is smaller, and he said it was too small to biopsy, so it's not determined whether that's cancer or not. And so the plan is to go in there and take it out. And so on Thursday, the radiologist, or not the radiologist, but the surgeon contacted me and said he was able to fit me into his schedule for this coming Tuesday at 10 o'clock. And that was really kind of amazing, a, smi a, re a really a miracle in and of itself because he initially told me during our consultation meeting on Wednesday that his schedule was pretty uh, jammed and considering he doesn't think this is uh, 
uh, high-grade, fast-growing cancer, it's fairly small, said that uh, it's, we're probably going to be uh, middle to late October before he can finally get me in. But wouldn't you know it, he, uh, again, there's a story behind that. I'm not going to get into that. But he called the very next day and says, okay, I've got you a place on Tuesday at 10 o'clock. And uh, if the cancer hasn't spread to any of the neighboring lymph nodes, um, I should be good. All right, I should be good. So that's the plan. Uh, that's the plan. Hopefully they caught it early. I'm having surgery on Tuesday, this Tuesday, at around 10 o'clock to take the cancer out. Should last, surgery should last, he said, two to three hours. Um, and he said that uh, hopefully he's not going to have to cut me open, crack my ribs to get to my lungs. It will all be done endoscopically, which means a few small incisions, sticks the tube in and whatever it is they do to extract the, that part of the lung. And so uh, he said, I hope that you should be able to go home in the next, he said, in a day or two. Um, and so that's pretty quick. So I would really appreciate your prayers that, that uh, the surgery would go without any complications, that uh, the, the cancer hasn't spread anywhere. Pray for Dr. Abinabi and his team of uh, anesthesiologists and nurses that God would just use them to, to guide their hands and uh, make me well again. And uh, speaking of Dr. Abinabi and all the other physicians that I've been, um, been dealing with, uh, and a number of friends uh, who happen to be doctors who attend our church, I mean, uh, their professionalism, their care, and their concern, and their, they've just been on top of it, have just been tremendously uh, invaluable, and I just really appreciate uh, them. And I'm just so thankful for anybody in the medical uh, field that you do a, a great work, and it's a tough work. So that's been my life recently. That's been what it's like the last few months. And so I wanted to spend the, the next few moments, you know, as in this message to share with you kind of what this journey has been like. But it has been quite uh, an interesting journey. Um, and I want to share with you what's been going on and, and what's been going on in my heart as I've been going through all this. All right. So let me pray and then, um, and then we'll get started. All right. Let's, let's pray together. Father, Father God, you know, as we come here this morning, one, one thing I can say with absolute certainty is that you've been so faithful and you've been so good as I have seen your hand uh, in every <clears throat> aspect of uh, my illness. God, I thank you for your, your goodness and faithfulness and your love. And I, Father, I know that in this room there are people who are right now going through things far worse than what, what um, I've been going through and what I will go through. And um, I pray that somehow the things that, that I've experienced in the last uh, few months and, and that I will experience here s shortly um, will really um, be used uh, for your glory. I pray that you would use the things that I've experienced to touch the hearts of, of your people. Father, this church, the, the people here, they're my family. And um, I thank you so much for their love and support and encouragement. And I, I pray that, again, what I've experienced will um, somehow be an encouragement to them. So I ask God that you would speak through me today. I pray that you would touch each and every heart, regardless of what we're going through. And God, most of all, I pray that you would be lifted up and that we would see you, that everyone would see you and how good and faithful you are. So thank you, Father. Will you, will you speak to each and every one of us now? And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. By the way, I've got, I've got a cough drop in my mouth because uh, I've had a little bit of a dry throat lately, but uh, um, I might be sucking on this uh, from time to time. You know, I'll never forget um, where I was 
and how I felt when I first got the diagnosis that I have cancer. Um, it's kind of like, for, those, for, for some of you old folks like me, you'll never forget where you were and how you felt when you heard that President John Kennedy was assassinated. Or we'll never forget the time where we were and how we felt when the space shuttle blew up. Or where we were and how we felt when 9-11 occurred. Um, this is one of those moments that uh, will forever be etched in my mind and heart. Where I was and how I felt when I first heard that I had cancer. I was having lunch with my wife Cheryl and her mother, my mother-in-law, Irene, at a brand new noodle place in Redondo Beach. Asked me about it sometime. It's terrific. And we were having lunch there when and we hadn't been served yet. And my, my phone rang and I immediately recognized the number. It was from my doctor. So I immediately excused myself, walked out the restaurant. Of course, I press, pressed the send button to receive the call. And I said, hello. And even though I had prepared myself for that moment um, to get the results of the biopsy, even though I had prepared myself and was half anticipating the worst news, his words were nevertheless like a, a gut punch. You've got cancer. And it it's like the, just took the breath uh, out of my lungs. Uh, when I returned, after I finished speaking with him, when I returned to my seat, Cheryl said, who was that? I said, it was the doctor. That was all I could say. I, 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 I'll tell you later, I couldn't, I couldn't talk. I couldn't talk. Even though I half expected that that's what the diagnosis would be, I was absolutely speechless. But now that I've had a couple weeks to process the news, I just wanted to share with you some thoughts I've had, not just about my diagnosis, but about this whole experience. First is, I wasn't surprised. And by the way, you have a, in your Baywatch, you received, there should be a, a sheet in there with some notes on it. You can fill these in. You know, I'm always having to put notes together and fill-ins and scriptures for you. And so you can follow along there if you'd like. You can also follow along on our church app. Just get our app and, or we'll have all these on the screen. But the first thing regarding my diagnosis was that I wasn't surprised. You can write that one down. I wasn't shocked. Well, maybe a little bit I was shocked. But, and I wasn't upset. And, and I certainly wasn't angry at God. Because, you know, one of the things I've consistently spoken to you about here at our church is that we live in a fallen and messed up world. We live in a fallen, messed up world in which there is disease and there is sickness and there is brokenness and there is pain and there is poverty and there is war and there is death. And it is all around us. And many, you all know what I'm talking about because you've experienced it in your own personal life or you see it all around you. I mean, we live in a fallen and messed up world. And Jesus pointed this out himself when he said in John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace, but in the world you will have what? Tribulation. You will have tribulation. You, want, you ought to underline that you will have tribulation. But then he, and then Jesus said, but take heart, I have overcome the world. See, Jesus didn't promise that if you decided to become one of his followers, that if you accepted him into your heart and became a Christian, that you would live happily ever after on planet Earth. He never said that. He said the opposite. He said that if you follow me, you're, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have tribulation. In the world, you won't have tribulation. And life would be hard. And it is. It's hard. The apostle Peter said something similar in 1 Peter 4, 12. Take a look at it. He said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. 
I mean, Peter said himself, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when this fiery ordeal comes upon you. And he was, he was experiencing that fiery ordeal in his own life. And if he said we shouldn't be surprised, well, if he wasn't surprised, well, we shouldn't be either. Because we live in a fallen and messed up world. And not only that, we, we shouldn't be surprised because we're so fragile. I mean, we are, we are so fragile. I mean, remember years ago I heard the story of, of uh, heavyweight boxing champ Muhammad Ali. Remember him? Some of you old timers remember Muhammad Ali. Man, this guy was a beast in the boxing ring. And he, he actually gave himself the name the greatest. He said, I'm the greatest. And he really was great. He was a great boxer. I'm the greatest. Well, one day Ali was on a plane. He was going somewhere. And before it took off, the passengers were instructed to buckle up their seatbelts, right? Put on your seatbelts. But Ali refused. He told the flight attendant, Superman, Superman don't need no seatbelt. Superman don't need no seatbelt, to which the flight attendant retorted, Superman don't need no plane. Put on your seatbelt. <laughs> and he did, because he wasn't Superman. And you aren't either. And I'm not either. Psalm 78, 39 says, He remembered that we were but flesh, a passing breeze that does not return. We are made out of flesh, this stuff right here. If you, a simple paper cut will cause it to hurt. Or you, you kick your toe in the middle of the night, you stub your toe and that'll hurt. Or you, maybe you got body aches all over the place and it hurts. We're made out of flesh and we are, we are so fragile. But not only that, we're just a passing breeze. We're just a passing breeze. And David said in Psalm 39, verse 5, he said, You have made my days a mere handbreadth. Circle that word, handbreadth. You have made my, my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is, is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. We're just a breath. See, back in ancient times, the handbreadth was the smallest measuring unit known to man. Handbreadth was basically four fingers. It would be the linear linear. Um, breath or linear measurement of your hand, uh, which was approximately anywhere from, depending on how large your hand is, anywhere from two and a half to four inches. That's a hand breath. So everything was measured by a hand breath. How, how wide is this podium? Well, it's two, three, four, five, six hand breaths. That's how, how large this is. Everything was measured by the hand breath. For, so, so for example, when God instructed Moses to build a, a table for the Holy of Holies, which was in the, the temple of God, he said it was to be made of acacia wood, and, uh, acacia wood and overlaid with gold. He also said this in Exodus 25, 25. Put it up here for you. And he said, and you shall make a rim around it, a handbreadth wide, and a molding of gold around the rim. God told Moses, when you make the table, make sure you make it with a rim that is a handbreadth wide. So the, the rim around the table is to be about anywhere from two and a half to four inches wide. That's how everything was measured. Well, in Psalm 39, 5, David said that our lives were a mere handbreadth. What a sobering thought. Your life is only two and a half inches long. Or if you're fortunate, your, your life is only four inches wide. That's it. This is why in Psalm 89, 47, the psalmist lamented, remember how short my time is. Remember how short my time is. For what vanity you've created all the children of men. Life is so short. And, and our lives are so brittle. We are, our bodies are so fragile. And anything can happen at any moment to any one of us. 
And it doesn't matter whether you're a newborn or whether you're a senior citizen. You can be a pastor and you are not immune from getting cancer. You can be an oncologist and you can get cancer. You may be a teenager or, an, or a newlywed, a young adult. A, you can may, may be a truck driver or maybe an engineer or a teacher. You may be in the prime of your life and your life can come crashing down in an instant. We're only about four inches long and just a passing breeze, which is why it wasn't a surprise to me to learn that I had cancer. You know, when I went in for my PET scan about a month ago, uh, the first thing they did was hook me up to an IV so that they could inject me with that radioactive drug I told you about. And I had to sit there for about a half an hour as the drug just kind of coursed itself through my veins. And then about a half an hour later, the tech came in and got me and said, okay, we're ready for you. Come on in. And she took me into another room, and that's where, that's where the big scanner was. And so she said, okay, you need to lay down here, and then I'm going to move the scanner in here, and you're going to go in the scanner. And he says, and once you're in the scanner, you, it's going to take about 30 minutes, and you need to stay perfectly still. You cannot move. I said, okay, and as soon as she put me in there, and as soon as I lay down, and as soon as she rolled that thing in the scanner, all I could think of was how claustrophobic I was. I'm very claustrophobic. You can ask my family that. And then, as soon as I lay down and she pulled me in, my, my back started to itch. Like, oh, my back itches. And the more, the more I thought of how I couldn't move, the more it itched. You know, it was just a, it was a miserable feeling, and I started to freak out a little bit. And then, uh, after she put me in the tube, I heard the door close, and the whole room just kind of got eerily quiet, except for the, the unnerving hum of the scanner. And I, and I lay there, and I, and I was thinking of, I was singing some worship songs, and I was uh, reciting some scriptures to myself, and I was praying and thinking about who God was. And then, and then I thought about, oh, my back itches, and oh, my, I got to crack my back, and all these kinds of things, and... and, and um, Afterwards, and I thought, surely 30 minutes has passed now. This is, must be like 45 minutes now. Uh, it seemed like an eternity. I finally couldn't take it any longer. I thought I was going to freak out. I finally blurted out, hello, is anyone there? <laughs> I really did. And um, I just wanted to hear a reassuring voice. I thought that maybe she forgot me, that she went to the other room and was scrolling through her Twitter feed or something. And so... Um, and so I, I wondered where she was at, and finally, you know, she, she, she responded, and I, I, she said, okay, we're almost done, hang in there, and I said, okay, and then I felt better, but, but it was at that moment, it was at that moment that I, I thought to myself, you know, I'm in this all alone. I'm, I'm in this all by myself, and it's true, when you're in a tube, and your body is being scanned for the umpteenth time, and by the way, I've had so many scans, now I actually glow in the dark. You turn the light off, and I glow in the dark. But by the way, you know, when you're in the scanner and you're being poked and prodded and you can't help but come to the realization that you're in it all, you're in this journey all by your lonesome. It isn't you and somebody else. It isn't, it's, just, it's just you. It's a, it's a lonely walk. And you can write that one down. It's a lonely walk. Life is a lonely walk. It's a lonely journey. You know, when I go into surgery on uh, Tuesday, Cheryl is not going in there with me. My girls are not going in there with me. It's just going to be me. And you know what I'm talking about? Because when you walk in a class to take that, that final exam and your, your grade and you getting an A depends on whether you get to graduate school or whether you get a job or whatever it is, it's just you. 
Your parents aren't in there with you. It's just you. When you're going through that divorce and you're fighting, you know, you're battling your ex-spouse or your spouse for, for custody for your children, it's just you. When you're suffering from anxiety and depression and you're kind of having a panic attack, it's, it's just you that's having that attack. When you're sicker than a dog and you're throwing up all over the place, it's just you going through that. And you're bawling your eyes out because you just lost a loved one. Man, it's just you going through that. And if we're really honest with ourselves, life is a, is a lonely journey. It really is a lonely journey. At the end of the day, you don't walk in someone else's shoes and someone else doesn't walk in your shoes. You are you. No one else is you. I think about the time that Jesus was handed over to be crucified. Before he was handed over to be crucified, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane with Peter, James, and John, his three closest disciples. Mark 14, tells us that, that when he went in the garden, he was greatly distressed, greatly troubled and distressed, exact words. And then verse 34 says this. You can take a look at it, Mark 14, 34. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. He told his disciples, remain here and watch. Jesus was in deep, deep anguish. All he wanted, and all he wanted at that moment was for his friends just to be there for him. Just, just wait and watch. Just, just walk with him. You know what they did? They went to sleep. They fell asleep. In verse 37, it says that he came and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch for one hour? Could you not just hang in there with me? Be awake with me for one hour. And this didn't happen just once. It happened three times. Three times Jesus said, hang in there with me. Three times he said, keep alert and pray. And all three times, what do they do? They just fell asleep. And it's a reminder that at the end of the day, we walk alone. Jesus went to that cross all by himself. You know, the other day I asked our other four pastors on staff, whether they would be willing to shave their heads for me if I had to undergo chemotherapy treatments and I lost all my hair. He says, hey, would you guys be willing to shave all your head and, you know, your, your, all your hair off if I get bald because of chemotherapy? You know what they said? These guys, these guys, God bless these men, right? You know what they said? At this, almost at the exact same time, almost in unison, they said, are you kidding? No way. <laughs> and so I shaved their heads for them. So much for, the, for my friends, right? But seriously, at the end of the day, we, we kind of kid about this, but seriously, at the end of the day, we all walk alone. And now that's not to say that our family and our friends aren't there for us. They are, and, and, and we need them. Boy, I need my family and I need my friends right now more than I ever have. And, and Cheryl and my brother and Dee and, and my daughters have been walking with me, and I've shared this journey with a few friends and with these guys right here, and I don't know what I'd do without them, really. But at the end of the day, they're not the ones that have cancer. I'm the one that has cancer. Uh, just like I'm not the one who's homeless, but maybe you are. I'm not the one who's going through divorce, but maybe you are. I'm not the one who's being bullied at school, but maybe you are. I'm not the one who's addicted to opioids, but maybe you are. I'm not the one who's having financial struggles. I'm not the one who was abandoned by my spouse or abandoned by my parents. You are. We all have our own cross to bear. 
and we all walk alone. There's a sense in which we all walk alone. But then here's the good news. On the flip side, we, all, we may all walk alone, but we are never truly alone. We are never truly alone. See, here's the good news. We, there's one who walks with us. There's one who always walks with us who is closer than a brother. Proverbs 18, 24, the next verse says, One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There is a friend who sticks closer than your BFF. There is a friend who sticks closer than your spouse. There is a friend who sticks closer than your mom or your dad. And that is Jesus. That's the friend who sticks closer to us than anyone else. It is Jesus. In John 15, 15, Jesus said, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you, what? Friends. I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. Jesus is the friend who sticks closer to us than anyone else. Which means that we never truly walk alone. We walk alone in this life, but we never walk alone in this life. And he is the one, Jesus is the one that I have turned to more than anyone else. He's the one that I've relied on more than anyone else through this journey that I've been on. And he has been my rock, and he has been my strength, and he has been my refuge, and he has been there for me. He knows every thought. And there have been times, you know, when my mind, I didn't share that, this at the other services, but there have been times when my mind starts going places it shouldn't go. And thinking that maybe I'll leave this earth before my mom does, who's 92. And what about my daughters? What about my wife? And I bet it's spread all over the place. And all these kind of, it goes all these places. And that's the time when I, I have to stop and I've just got to go back to my best friend, Jesus. And he's a reminder that he's always there. You know, one of the verses, the verse that I have claimed for this journey came to me about, about a month ago, Psalm 16. I've read the Psalms all every day uh, from beginning to end, Psalm 1 to Psalm 150. And when I'm done with that, I'll go back backwards, 150, 149, 140. I mean, reading it constantly, highlighting it constantly. And the verse that, that, that I've kind of been holding on to the last month, for the last month, is Psalm 16, verse 8 and 9. And it says this, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh um, also dwells secure. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. Will you, will you highlight that? He is at my right hand, and I shall not be shaken. You know, I love this verse because of this unwavering promise that God is at my right hand. No matter what it is I'm going through, he is at my right hand. I want you to, first, just do me a favor, right now, just hold out your right hand, right? Just hold it out in front of you, or just to the side of you. And if you're left-handed, then hold out your left hand, right? That's your dominant hand, hold out your left hand. Now imagine, imagine that Jesus is holding your hand. But here's the thing, actually it's not an imagination. Because He is. Because He is at your right hand. He is at your left hand. Because the scriptures tell us that. He is at your right hand. He is at your left hand. Which is why we are not shaken. And I have not been shaken. And I love this verse. He is at our right hand. So write this one down. It is a lonely walk, but we're never really alone. 
right? We're never really alone because God is with us. No wonder he said in Psalm 23, verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For what? For you are with me. God is with you. God is with me. And even though this has been the greatest personal trial of my life, I have had immense joy, immense joy and peace. Now, I have no idea. I have no idea how things are going to turn out. I really don't. Well, actually, I do. I do have an idea how things are going to turn out. And I want to illustrate to you how I think, how I know things are going to turn out. All right? Now, recently I had the opportunity to meet Justin Flom, who is an extraordinary magician. And uh, I learned a card trick from him. And I want to share that with you right now. All right? So get out your cards. Every one of you were given four cards. All right? When you walked in this place. If you don't have four cards, raise your hand real high and we'll have our ushers give it to you right now. Raise it real high and hopefully everybody in the lobby, you also, you all have four cards. If you're in the family cry room there, make sure you have four cards. All right. Everybody get four cards and you're, you're welcome to look at them. You're welcome to shuffle them around. You can do whatever you want. All right. And then we need, we need uh, some over here for Cassie. All right. Cheryl needs some. You need some, Cheryl? Raise your hand. Raise it real, raise it real high. All right. What I want you to do is turn the cards down so that you don't see the suit. You can look at them, like I said, and shuffle them around, but turn them down. And what I want you to do, all right, okay, let me just say one other thing. If you follow my instructions, <laughs> this will work, all right? And by the way, if you're watching uh, this message on uh, YouTube, then right now hit the pause button, hit the pause button, and go get some cards, all right? Go get, some, get four cards. Doesn't matter what cards they are. Just get four cards. And once you get your cards, then hit the play button again, all right? So hopefully we're ready to play. We're ready to do the card thing. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to tear the cards in half, all right? Now, it's a little easier if you kind of spread them apart like that. And, and Nicole is up here helping. Spread it apart. It's easier to tear. So just tear the cards in half. Okay? So now you have in your right hand, you have four cards that you just tore, and you have on your left hand, you have four cards that you just tore. All right? Now here's what I want you to do next. All right? I want you to take one of the stacks and put it over the other. You can put the right stack that you have and put it over the other, or you can get the stack in your left hand and put it over the other. All right? So I'm going to get the stack in my right hand, and I'm going to put it over the stack in my left hand. So now I got one stack. All right, everybody with me? Everybody in the lobby with me? All right, next what I want you to do is I want you to take the top three cards. So one, two, three cards. And then what I want you to do is I want you to put it into the stack. Put it in between the top card and the bottom card. So somewhere in between, doesn't matter where, stick it in there in between the top and the bottom card. Stick it in there, all right? Everyone do that? Stick it in there. All right. Oh, I forgot. Next, um, I'm, getting, I'm getting forgetful in my own age. Get, get the, the next card, one on the top, all right, and just set it aside. So I'm just going to put it right here at the top of this, de this table right here. All right. That's my card. Set it aside. Don't look at it. You can put it in your pocket. All right. Put it on the seat next to you. Put it on your lap somewhere. All right. Next, I want you to take one, two, or three cards. It doesn't matter. You can take one, two, or or three cards, and again, I want you to put it in the middle somewhere, okay? Stick it in the middle, all right? I've got three cards. Stick it in the middle, not on the top, 
not on the bottom. All right, everybody with me? Next, I want you to take your top card, and I want you to trade it with somebody. All right, so trade it with somebody next to you. All right, so Jolene, I'll trade with you, all right? Let me, here's a, okay, and if you want to trade with another person after that, it doesn't matter that they're different colors, all right, and she, she cut hers lengthwise, all right, and if you, if you want to trade again a second or third time, take the card you just traded, take the card you just traded and put it in the middle somewhere. It doesn't matter where in the middle, not on the bottom, not on the top, put it in the middle somewhere, all right? Next, you can do nothing or you can take one two or three cards and stick it in the middle somewhere. So I'm going to take one card this time and I'm going to stick it in the middle somewhere. If you want to do nothing, just stand pat. That's totally fine too. All right? Everyone with me? All right, now we're going to play a game that Nicole used to play when she was a little girl. It's called He Loves Me, He Loves Me Not. Right? (laughs) If you're a guy, we used to play She Loves Me, She Loves Me Not. But since I'm doing this from Nicole's perspective, she used to play this game, get a flower, pull out the petals. He loves me, he loves me not. And by the way, she found somebody that she loves, and so she's getting married in November. All right, so that's pretty cool. All right, so he loves me, he loves me not. Take the top card, he loves me, put it on the bottom. All right, take the top card, put it on the bottom. He loves me not. Take that card, throw it away. He doesn't love you, all right? He loves me. Put that card Put it on the bottom. He loves me not. Take that card. Throw it away. Right in the communion. He loves me. Take that card. Put it on the bottom. He loves me not. Throw it away. He loves me. Put it on the bottom. He loves me not. Throw it away. He loves me. Put it on the bottom. He loves me not. Throw it away. He loves me. Put it on the bottom. He loves me not. Throw it away. Now you have only one card left. Get the card that you just put away and see if it matches. (laughs) All right. There's my card. Okay. I got the king of hearts. All right. That was my card. All right. And it matched. Now, For those of you for whom the card didn't match, anybody here? A couple of people, shame on you. (laughs) You didn't follow my instructions, right? If you followed my instructions, it works every time. It'll work for you at home, all right? Thank you very much, Nicole. You know, I... uh, I get such a kick out of doing that, but the reason why I wanted to share this trick with you was because I think it illustrates a a couple of important spiritual truths, all right? And the first one is this, that we live in a, which we talked about just a minute ago, we live in a fallen, messed up world in which our lives are often torn and ripped apart, right? That's something we all go through. Our lives are torn and ripped apart by heartbreak and tragedy and pain and who knows what else? You know what that is. It's, our lives are torn and ripped apart. And, and, and uh, just like these cards were. Happens to all of us. But because of who's in control, but because of who's in control, it'll all walk, work out in the end. It'll all work out in the end. It all comes together in the end. And who's in control? 
Well, God is in control, right? Yeah, Jesus is in control. Psalm 103 verse 19 says, The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His sovereignty rules over all. You know what that verse means? If you summarize it real quick, it means God is in control. That's what it means. He has established His throne in the heavens, and God rules over all. He is in control. That's why everything will work out in the end. Everything will work out in the end. Now take a look at the next verse. But probably most of you are familiar with it. Romans 8.28. And it says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. We know that God causes all things. What a great verse. We know that God orchestrates all things so that they work together for good. And what are all things? Well, that word all, you can circle it if you want, is the Greek words derived from the Greek word pas. And you know what pas means? It means all. So all things means all. All things, all, everything works together for good. Which means God choreographs even the bad things to work together for good. He choreographs cancer and pain and suffering and our brokenness and our financial hardships and getting fired from your job and business failing and divorce, all of it to work together for good. Even though our lives have been ripped apart, it all works together for good. Now, I don't know how he does it, but that's what God does. Now, that doesn't mean that things will always work out the way we want them to. It doesn't mean that if you have cancer, you're going to be cured. Oh, I'm Romans 8, 28, it all works together for good. I'm going to be healed. It doesn't, doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that if you get fired, your boss is going to call you the next day and say, oh, I want you back. It doesn't mean that if you fail uh, an algebra test, you get an F in algebra, that the, the teacher is going to call you and say, I'm going to change your grade to an A. It doesn't mean that. Instead, what it means is that when it, what it means when it says all things work together for good, it means that somehow God's going to find a way to bless you, and he's going to get the credit for it. God's going to find a way to bless you, and he's going to receive the glory. You know, one of my prayers throughout this journey has been, God, accept whatever you have for me. Whatever your sovereign will is for me, I accept it. All I want is for you to be glorified. Whatever happens, be glorified. If you work it out that after Tuesday I'm cancer-free, may you be glorified. If, if it turns out, if you work it out that I have to go undergo chemotherapy and radiation after Tuesday, then so be it. May you be glorified. If, it, if he works it out that he takes me home because of cancer, well, that's okay. May you be glorified. And if he does take me home, and one day he will take me home, as he will take all of us home, we really will be glorified because then we'll be in heaven. Because death isn't the worst thing that can happen to us. It's the best thing that can happen to us. Which is why Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I know I've heard of a church where the people would pray for their... Um, for people in their church, if they died, they would pray that they would be resurrected. And I heard that, and it's a church in the South Bay, and, and, and I thought, you know, if, if, I, if the Lord takes me home, don't you dare pray that I come back, <laughs> right? Don't you dare pray for my resurrection, because if God answers your prayer and I come back, I will be mad at you. I really will, because I want to go to heaven one day and be there forever and ever and ever. See, death isn't this isn't the end of us. And it's not the worst thing that can happen to us. So I want to tell you, going into this on Tuesday, I believe with all my heart, I know, I know how this is going to turn out. 
I don't know exactly how it's going to, but I know it's all going to work together for good. I know it's all going to work out in the end. So write that one down. That's your last point. It will all work out in the end. It will all work out in the end. That's the promise of Romans 8, 28. And there's just one catch. All right, there's just one catch. And I got to tell you about this. He doesn't work everything out for good for everyone. Things don't work out for good for everyone. Just as for some of you, your card thing didn't work out because you didn't follow my instructions. <laughs> right? Romans 8, 28, that's the catch, right? If you want things to work out for good, then you've got to follow instructions in the same way if you want your life to work together for good. There's a catch. And the catch is in the directions given to us spelled out in Romans 8, 28. Take a look at it again. And it says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to what? To those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. See, if you want things to work together for good in your life, you've got to love God. You've got to have a relationship with Him. You can't be ignoring Him. You can't be thumbing your nose at Him. You can't have this attitude, I don't want to have anything to do with God. But you, got, you want to have a relationship with Him and love Him. And if you do then he will find a way to make all things work together for good, even if it's bad in your life. He'll find a way to make things work together for good in your life, and everything will work out. So that's the, that's the catch. You've got to love God, and it begs the question, do you love Jesus? Do you love God? I hope you do. You know what my favorite card is? It's King of Hearts. You know why this is my favorite card? Because Jesus is the king of my heart. And you know why Jesus is the king of my heart? It's because of all that he's done for me. He was broken, beaten. His life was ripped apart. He was crucified just for me. And that's why he's the king of my heart. And he did it because he loved me. He did it because he did it to take the punishment for my sin. He was ripped apart. His life was ripped apart. He was killed because he wanted to take the punishment for my sin. And that's why he's the king of my heart. And you know what the good news is? He, he didn't die just for me. He died for you too. His body was broken for you too. He was crucified for you too. He died to take your penalty and punishment as, as well. And he loves you too. And after Jesus died, he didn't stay dead. He didn't stay dead. He was raised from the dead. And he was made whole again. He came back to life. And if you will believe by faith that Jesus was the Son of God, if you will believe by faith that he was who he, who he said he was, then you will receive the gift of eternal life. And all your sins will be forgiven forever and ever. And he will become the king of your heart. And I fell in love with Jesus when I was 21 years old. And to be honest, it wasn't that hard for a kid who grew up in a Buddhist home to fall in love with Jesus after I learned all that he did for me. When I found out all he did for me, I believed it by faith, and I couldn't help but fall in love with him, and I love him more today than I ever have. I hope you'll make Jesus the king of your heart, and if you do, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're going through, it will all work together for good. And not only that, even when you find yourself walking through life alone, 
all alone. You will never be alone because the king of your heart will always be with you. Let's close our time in prayer. As you bow your heads and close your eyes, I just want to ask you a question. Would you like for Jesus to be the king of your heart? Would you like for him to be the king of your heart? Would you like to know that no matter what it is you go through, even when you walk through life alone, that you will never really be alone because he will always be with you? Would you like to have all of your sins forgiven? Would you like to have the gift of eternal life and know that one day when your life comes to an end, you go to heaven? If you'd like to, if you'd like for Jesus to be the king of your heart, I want to ask you just wherever you're at, I can't see very well because of all the lights, but wherever you're at, just raise your hand and say, Jesus, I, I want you to be the king of my heart. You just raise your hand and say, Jesus, I want you to be the king of my heart. I give you my life. And if you're raising your hands right now, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. Dear God, thank you for your son. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who came and allowed his life to be broken and beaten and crucified just for me, to take the penalty of my sin. And right now, I, 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 by faith, I believe that that's what you did for me, Jesus. And by faith, I ask you to come and be the king of my heart. I give you my life. I surrender my life to you. Walk with me all the rest of my days until you take me to be with you. I give you my life. If you pray that prayer right now, if you pray that prayer, Jesus has become the king of your heart. And he will be with you no matter what. He will be, th be with you through the, through the valleys, through the ups and the downs. He will always work things out for good for your life. may not be what you wanted, to be, but God will always be there for you. Well, Father, thank you so much for this journey that you've placed me on. Thank you, God, for all that you've taught me. And I pray, Father, that for all my brothers and sisters here, and I know some people in this room are going through things a hundred times harder than I am. And Father, in a sense, we don't know how things will turn out, but in a sense, we do know how things will turn out. Things will always come together for good because of who you are, because you're in control. So, Father, help us. Help us to leave this place, to walk out of this place with you in our hearts. Thank you, King Jesus, for your love for us. I ask now that as we prepare for communion, you draw us close to you, God. Touch our hearts with your love. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.